Did you guys have a good Easter? Yeah. Are you a little tired? Did Easter somehow, like, you were like, Easter was great, but then you've just been tired since Easter? Uh, yeah. I, got, I saw, I see that hand, sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to actually just pause right here. I, I want to invite you actually to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And while you're turning there, can I just pause and just, I, there was just something else that the Lord put in my heart this morning that I, I just want to pause and pray about. Because I had heard kind of on the grapevine and a little bit directly <clears throat> from some people uh, that are connected to our church family that, uh, that there's a lot of folks who just were feeling it this week. Like this, whatever reason, was just a hard week. Some people who are sick and some people who haven't family uh, crisis issues. Um, there was one member of our church who lost their mom this week. And uh, so we're just, we're just kind of as a family, there's people in our family just feeling it. And I don't want us to gloss over that moment and not pause and say, hey, I just want you to know, Life Church, people in your family are going through it right now. In fact, I just know that there's some people who are watching us online right now because they wanted to be here physically, but they just weren't able to for a number of different reasons. And and, and so just for wherever it's like sickness or weariness or, or, or brokenness that's going on, can we just pause? And God was just so good to bless all of us. Can we now just extend a prayer blessing over our own church family? Uh, would you bow your hearts with me in, in prayer? And God, we would just pray this prayer, that you would be the God who, as you have met us in our moment of worship, and we are so thankful for that, would you be with our church family and with our friends and our loved ones who are going through it this week. Lord, you can see, even the ones that we can't even think of, but the, the people that we know, you know their story better than we do. You know where their heart is at. You know the pain. You know the, the heaviness. You know the burdens. And you even know the physical sickness. And you are the answer to all of that. You are the Prince of Peace, and you give peace that passes understanding. You are the ultimate physician, and you give healing that we cannot give. And so, God, we ask that you would give peace and you would give healing where it is needed in our family, and that you would put our family members, the, the members and the friends of this church, that you would put them on our hearts to pray and where it's possible to come alongside. Lord, make this a family of people that when somebody's gone, we notice and we know what to do to help. And start that is making us a people of prayer for each other. So Lord, we pray a blessing over those who are not with us today. We love them, comfort them, heal them in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Well, Luke chapter 24, uh, we are going to continue talking about Easter. You know, last week was Easter Sunday, and one of the things that I had said to you multiple times in my Easter message last week was that Easter is about more than just the events of one moment. Easter isn't just about the tomb, the stone being rolled away from the tomb, and Jesus getting up and resurrecting out of the tomb. It's not just about that moment. The Easter story stretched beyond, uh, before that, for hundreds of years, as, as through prophecy, as it was talked about, this was going to happen. And then the Easter moment was the culmination of that story, which kicked off a whole new covenant, a whole new thing, which it turned out was God's plan all along. And so Easter continues. Easter isn't just about that day a couple thousand years ago. It's about today. And so we're going to continue to talk about how Easter is not just about Resurrection Day, but it's about the celebration that Jesus is alive and continues to offer us eternal life with him. Amen? So Easter is, in part, about the way that Jesus opened the door to his kingdom. If you were going to put a, a title on that, opening the door to his kingdom, we might call that an invitation. Jesus opened the door to the kingdom and invited us to come in. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the invitation that Jesus offers us into the kingdom. In fact, leading up to Pentecost Sunday... We're going to look at multiple different ways that we are invited to take part of the kingdom of God, largely because of the work of Jesus. So we're beginning this series today. It's going to be about six weeks long. We're going to take a little bit of a break to honor our moms in just a couple of weeks. That's really, really important. But we're looking over the next several weeks at the invitations to take part in the kingdom. And we're beginning with this story in Luke chapter 24. It's a story about two disciples of Jesus. 
They are walking from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, which if you were to look on a map is about seven miles away. Also, if you read one of the verses later on, it says it's about seven miles away. So I'm, I'm doubly smart there. I read the Bible and I also looked on a map. I know Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, now, just for, just for context uh, or for your understanding, kind of root this in the reality of human life. These are, these are two disciples who were a part of the crowd of followers of Jesus they're called disciples in this story, which means they are committed students of this man, Jesus. They were thinking that he was going to be the Messiah. He, they made him their rabbi. They were most likely a part of the group of people that Jesus referred to as the 72, who he sent out on mission at one point, and they came back and saw all these incredible things. Um, there is uh, One of them is named Cleopas. We don't get the other one's name throughout church history on a lot of different occasions, it's kind of just assumed as you read this story that these are two dudes, that they were, they were like homies just kind of walk into Emmaus, they're going to stay like the inn at Emmaus or something. But actually, there's a good portion of church history that would look at that and say, interestingly enough, if you pay attention to kind of the, some of the details in the story, you might actually uh, pick up that this very possibly could have actually been a husband and a wife who were committed followers of Jesus. Part of the reason that we might think that is because it says that they invited them to come and stay with them. The idea is that they have this place in Emmaus. It may very well have been their home. They sit down and have a meal together. They've invited Jesus to come and stay with them. So it's possible that this was a man and a woman, a married couple walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. That walk would have taken somewhere between We'll just call it about two hours on average, depending on how fast they were walking. Somewhere around two hours, maybe two and a half hours, depending on the pace of their walk. And the story picks up, I would guess, based on some of the details of the story, we're going we're gonna to guess that this story starts somewhere around 5 p.m. So kind of the, the late afternoon, early evening, moving towards what at that time of year would have been a couple of hours before Sunset is when they would have set out on the journey from, um, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So pick it, with that little bit of a context, let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. So it says, now that same day, just again, just for context, that's Easter day. That's resurrection day. The same day that Jesus rose from the grave, two of them, two of the disciples of Jesus, were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles. See, I told you it's in the Bible. Seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, together, they were discussing everything that had taken place, and while they were discussing and arguing, <clears throat> married couple, I'll get an email about that later. Um, <laughs> while they were discussing and arguing, um, Jesus came near. I don't know if you've ever felt like Jesus walked into the middle of your marriage while you were having a, a, a volumized conversation. Um, Jesus walks in. <laughs> And he began to walk with them. Just for context, Jewish culture would have actually invited Jesus to come and walk. Um, if you were a fellow Jew and you're walking down the road, uh, Jewish hospitality and the custom, the tradition was we walk in community together. And so it was completely natural for a fellow Jewish person to come and walk alongside them. And as Jews, for them to welcome the stranger. They don't know this man. He begins to walk with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Just for context, it doesn't mean that they couldn't recognize him because he had grown a scruffy beard or shaved his face or dyed his hair or anything like that. It's, it says that they were prevented from recognizing him. We'll come back around to that later. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? Jesus is a good pastor. And they stopped walking. And they looked discouraged. So they said to him, the things, uh, so, sorry, then one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? Have you been living under a rock? Where have you been? Did you cancel your Twitter account? 
Jesus, I think, desperately trying to suppress a smirk, said, what things? (laughs) So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was the who was a prophet, powerful in action and speak, speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Pause. Notice what Cleopas called him. He said he was a prophet. 48 hours ago, he would have called him the Messiah. How the chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported all that they had seen. That they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. You want to know what they're debating? Whether or not the women are crazy. Hey, those... (laughs) I didn't say that. Just for context, if you're watching online, someone, not me, over there said, we are. Wasn't me. <laughs> All right. This story is, and I love how much fun we have at Life Church. Uh, this story is important, and we, we need to talk about it. And if you're like me, you're going to read a story like this, and you're going to scratch your head a couple times and go, what? Some of this stuff doesn't make sense. I'm not sure that I understand what it means. I will tell you there is incredible meaning in it, and it has a lot to do with what I might call the building blocks of recognizing Jesus. Uh, if, if we were going to say, what was it that all of a sudden, you remember it said that they didn't recognize him, they were prevented from recognizing Jesus? Well, by the end of this story, they're going to recognize Jesus. So we want to talk about that, but I want to frame this in the context of the invitation that we are given because of the story of resurrection. The invitation that we are given to see Jesus, to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And, and we'll begin actually with what I think is the first invitation of the three that I will share with you today. The first invitation here in this story is the invitation to learn from Jesus. The story begins with a couple of people having a debate. They're debating whether or not the women are crazy. They're debating whether or not when the tomb was empty, was his body stolen from us? Did somebody, did one, it, would, it probably would have been Peter, wouldn't it? Peter, did, did he like find a way to roll the, the, the stone? He's so zealous. He so wants everyone to believe that Jesus really is the Messiah and he's resurrected from the dead that maybe he, he found a way to roll the stone and steal the body of Jesus so that everyone could believe that he was alive. After all, he was one of the ones who who ran over to the tomb, and he's telling us now that Jesus was alive, but he never saw the body, so they're having a debate. I would imagine that the wife, probably wiser than the husband, is probably saying, I think he's really resurrected. I think it was really him. Mary said that Jesus is alive. I'm going to go ahead and believe in Cleopas. Like, I'm not so sure, sweetheart. Typical husband. So this is one of the reasons why I think it might have been a married couple. The disciples told Jesus that they're sad as he comes and walks alongside of them. But isn't it already just a significant thing that he comes and walks alongside of them in their sadness and in their debate and in their question? And Right? So they, they thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. And this man comes up and goes, what are you guys talking about? And he goes, Cleopas says, well, let me tell you about how we were obviously wrong. Jesus' response to them is in verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It's an exclamation mark at the end of that sentence for me, which implies that Jesus says this with like some, right? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. 
Here's what Jesus does. He says to them, if you had understood the scripture that you've been reading and studying as, as good Jewish people for your entire lives, then you wouldn't be sad right now because if you had actually understood what scripture was trying to say, you would have known that this was God's plan all along, that this resurrection story was being told to you. The foreshadowing goes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years back into your own history. Let me crack open your memories for you, and I will tell you all about how Moses was foreshadowing this. Let me look with you into all of the prophecies, and we're going to remind you as we're walking for somewhere around two hours, a Bible study with Jesus where he cracks open their memory about Moses and all the prophets and says to them all of the ways that he had to die the way that he did. Interestingly, they still don't see it. They still don't recognize Jesus, but they're listening. They're listening to a man tell them that all their expectation to have a conquering king was wrong. See, this was the Jewish understanding, that the Messiah would come and overthrow the nations of the world and that God's people would have human power. I know that that doesn't resonate for us at all in any way in the 2020s. I know that God's people are, we've matured beyond wanting to have God's people have human power, but just imagine a world where, like, for example, we thought as God's people that, you know, we're really going to see God when our politicians are in power. I know that's unrealistic to think that, but imagine a world where we are so convinced that God was interested in government power that that's how he would overthrow the, the world and become the king, prove that he was the king. If, if you could imagine a world like that, that's the world that they were living in. I mean, 2016, anyone? 2020, anyone? We've got another election coming up. It's going to be the same problem all over again because we're still human beings, right? It'd be good if we learned the side lesson of this sermon to say God is not interested in us having human power. The church almost always does terrible things when we have governmental power. We don't do good with this. We do much better when we go low and say, God, just, just you, the great I am. Right? It's just you, the great I am. It's just you. So they expected a conquering king. Jesus says, if you had understood the scriptures, which I'm going to reveal to you, you would have understood that the Messiah was going to be a suffering servant. This is what Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah over 700 years before he was even born. And Jesus teaches them about himself using their own scriptures for about two hours. Because like all the other disciples, they had completely missed the point. So Jesus corrects their wonky theology. And before we get all high and mighty and go, yeah, those people with their wonky theology, the Jewish people never really understood. We have it all figured out in our, you know, in our modern day understanding. We have the New Testament written for us. Yeah, okay, hold on a second. Before we start thinking that we're great, did you know that there are over 200 non-Catholic Christian, so Protestant or Pentecostal or Charismatic, there are over 200 Christian denominations in the United States. Outside the United States, did you know that according to the Center of, for the Study of Global Christianity, that that number jumps from 200 to 45,000 denominations globally? That's 45,000 distinct theological views and opinions being taught in churches around the world every single week. Did you further know that in the United States of America that only 11% of Americans say that they read their Bible daily? Among Protestant Christians, Lifeway Research Center found that that number is only 32% of Protestant Christians say they read their Bible daily. If you add another 5% of Protestant Christians in America who say, I don't read my Bible daily, but I do read it three or four times a week. Somewhere around 9% of Christians in America as of 2019, 9% say, I read my Bible one time a week. And I would venture to guess that what they mean by that is, I have someone read the Bible to me one time a week. Twelve percent of Christians in America say, I never read the Bible. 
And of Christians in America, 57% said that their low engagement with Scripture is because they find the Bible to be too challenging and difficult to understand. Tie these statistics together. 45,000 denominations in the world, 200 of those in the United States, and all of the other things coming at us all the time. And the statistic that I heard very recently that was incredibly intriguing to me, that somewhere between 70 to 80% of Americans will graduate high school and never in their life read another book. The Bible would be on that list. We're constantly being given opinions and things to think. And we have the written word of God and we don't read it? And part of the reason we don't read it is because you come to churches where there's 200 different opinions and ideas just in our country alone. No wonder we have muddied the waters so much and become so, as a human race, intellectually crippled and lazy. We are just looking for people to tell us what to think. And can we really trust what the world, and even in some of our churches, what we're being told what to think? Guys, don't even trust what you should think just because I'm telling you. Read the Bible. I'm so thankful that I, I've been a pastor for a little bit over a decade. I'm so thankful for the people who have come and checked me when I said some wonky stuff from the pulpit. And it's, it's like little things. Like one time I misnamed a river in the middle of a sermon. Paul Smith came up. He's like, did you know you misnamed that river? I was like, uh, yeah, I figured it out. <laughs> Love you, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> or like Jason Duick who's a consummate student of Jewish culture and tradition. If I've said anything wrong about Jewish culture and tradition already today in this sermon, he'll do for me what he's already done in the past, is he'll come and tell me, hey, Tim, that's actually not the right way to represent the Jewish people. And as Christians who want to honor uh, the, the legacy and the heritage that we've been grafted into, you should make sure that you actually know what the stink you're talking about. Jason, thank you for the way that you've checked me. You know why these men can do that? Because they're students of the word and they love God enough to also study the culture of the people of God as well as the word of God. I'm so deeply thankful for men like this in my life who as the pastor of this church will come and check me if I say something silly. And those are just little examples. I'm too embarrassed to tell you about the times I was actually a heretic from the pulpit. It's not, it's not been recently. It's not, it's not been recently. <laughs> it hasn't been recently, but I'm thankful. The point is, the point is, it seems that we live in a world that is becoming increasingly common that if you don't understand something, you simply avoid it, or you look for someone to tell you something that you want to hear. And this is not a new phenomenon. Paul told Timothy, his disciple, who was a church planter under his authority, he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. It came. Yep. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves. How many people on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok do you follow that will tell you something that they read in the Bible that you have never read for yourself? Ooh, ooh that got somebody. I'm not saying don't follow the people. I'm saying check for yourself. They will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. In another translation, it says that people will go and find preachers for themselves who will tickle their ears. Tickle their ear sermons are the ones where you come to church and it's not like this moment at all. Because you hear the stuff that goes, yeah, man, you're right, pastor, I am great. You, man, I, I sang a worship song today. That's all I got to do. Yay, me. That's the tickle your ear sermon. It's also, you're right, pastor. Our politician is the best. You're right, pastor. Our country is the chosen people. Didn't know we were going to touch on nationalism at Life Church today, did you? It's like, this isn't a new idea, though. We're living in a world where many of us don't read 
the one source of wisdom and truth and life. We're scattered among 45,000 denominations, all teaching variations of biblical truth. Our modern culture says if you don't like what one preacher says, there are plenty of other streams out there. So the odds are pretty high that somewhere along the way, we are also like Cleopas and his friend or wife or partner in ministry, whoever it was that was the other person on the road. The odds are pretty high that we need a teacher to come alongside us. And I'm just a traveler along the road with you. The odds are pretty high that somewhere in my life, I need Jesus to come and teach me too. This is why we're a body. And not just a bunch of ears and one mouth. Right? See, our hearts should reflect the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 160. The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever, which means if God ever made a judgment in the past, it endures still today and it will tomorrow. No matter what anyone else says, what God said was truth is truth. What God said is sin is sin. And how God said to live righteously is the way to live righteously. Our prayer should also look like the prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, verse 17. He said, sanctify them. This is what he prayed for you. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. That, those words are written in the Gospel of John. That's the same book where the, the, the Apostle John started out in John chapter 1, clarifying for us that Jesus is the living embodiment of the word of God. So sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by Jesus. Jesus is truth. So we need Jesus to come alongside of us on the road. The invitation of Easter is to be invited to become a student of Jesus. To become a student of Jesus. We don't need a ton of teachers. We need one teacher. And even as a teacher in this church, I'm just an under-shepherd, an under-teacher. I don't want to say anything to you that I haven't heard the teacher say. And if you hear me say anything that doesn't agree with what the teacher said, then come and let me know, and we'll fix it. <sighs> Over coffee. Yeah, buy me a cup of coffee. So when we, said that, when we say that on Easter we enter into an invitation to learn from Jesus, we first mean that we become students of Holy Scripture. And I've taken recently in my life to refer to my Bible as Holy Scripture, as a reminder to myself that this is not just a book, it is the book. That all truth is based on this, not the other way around. The opinions of the world do not shape the way I read Scripture. The truth of Scripture shapes my interpretation of scripture and then shapes the way and determines the way I live in the world. And can I tell you, friends, that is going to get increasingly uncomfortable. And those who love the word, those who love the word will walk with Jesus into life. Amen? All right, let's skip forward. I've got a lot of other notes, but I've said a lot of things today. Let's jump forward a little bit. So Jesus talks to his disciples. I want you to also notice before we get into uh, the second point, I want you to notice how the disciples on the road learned from Jesus. They were walking with Jesus. They were on a journey. They were in the middle of a debate. It was during a moment of doubt and confusion. God is not afraid of our doubt. He's not afraid of you being confused. He would love it if you would admit it from time to time. He would love it if you would ask him some questions, but to learn from Jesus is not simply hearing a sermon once a week that you hope has good theology in it. Learning from Jesus is about returning to Holy Scripture on your daily journey. When you have debates, settle them with Scripture. When you have doubts, root your heart to the Word of God and find answers there. And, when you're, and on the way to looking for answers, find peace there. Learning from Jesus is about allowing him to have the final say over every single issue. Uh, just as a, as a quick practical point before we move on to the second invitation, I would say this, that at Life Church we actually practice a daily reading habit. 
If you follow us on Instagram, you can download our, our, uh, our app on your phone. And there's actually on the feed section, we post our link to our daily Instagram post. And so you can see every single week, here's our Bible reading for the week. And every day during every week, read scripture with us together. And then get some friends together. And when you read something that you don't understand, go, hey, I didn't understand this. What do you think? And then wrestle with it until you find an answer. And if you need help, there's plenty of smart people in this church who are students of the word. I called a couple of them out already today. Paul Smith would love to talk to you about what the word means. He said yes, just so you know. All right, let's move forward. Let's return to this story and see what happens next. In Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 28 now, it says, They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. He wasn't, but he gave that impression. But they urged him. Say urged. They urged him to, saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. This is another element, I think, Jason will tell me if I'm wrong, of Jewish culture. They would have said, we want you to stay with us. They were welcoming the stranger into their home. Stay with us. Of course, also, they didn't have, like, cars and road lights and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, don't travel at night buddy to come and hang out with us but there's something compelling about this man that they didn't just invite him they urged him so he went in to stay with them they invited they urged they had a sense of desperation in their invitation to come and hang out with us and he went in to stay with them it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them then their eyes were opened They weren't able to see him earlier. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Weird. We'll talk about that in a minute. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So here we see the second invitation. This is the invitation to commune with Jesus. This part of the story actually has two invitations. The first invitation is the invitation that the disciples gave to come and be, Jesus come into our home. Again, a Jewish custom, right, to invite the stranger. But this invitation was also deeply rooted in their interest in Jesus' teaching. They were able to articulate, our hearts were burning within us while he was talking to us on the road. This would have inspired the urgency of their invitation to come and commune with us, be with us, stay here with us in this place, in our home, come and have a meal with us, dine with us, do life here with us. Why? Because when you're talking, we don't want to stop listening. Because they'd already passed the first invitation, received the first invitation to become learners of Jesus. They they weren't just being polite, they urged Jesus to come and be with them. And so then the invitation results in Jesus communing with them. For clarity, by the way, the word commune uh, is defined like this. A group of people living together and sharing possessions and responsibilities. That's a secular dictionary definition of the word commune. You might also call that a commune, or more commonly we would call that a community. A group of people living together and sharing possessions and responsibilities. So the invitation to commune with Jesus begins when our interest in him as our teacher is so high that it leads us to urge him to come and be a part of our lives. And not not just to say, hey, Jesus, we've got a guest house over here that we'd like you to stay at, but come come and stay in our lives. The question for us is, have we invited Jesus into every area of the house that is our life? Have you invited him into every place in your life? Interesting side note, by the way, we'll get back to moving forward in just a second, but it's interesting that inviting Jesus does not automatically result in them recognizing Jesus. This is important, especially in our modern kind of uh, predominantly white evangelical church cultures in America, we love to do this thing where we go, if, we want, if you want to receive Jesus, put your hand up, say these words, now you're a Christian. And Jesus would go, what if there's something more than that? What if there's something deeper about who I am in your life that I want you to learn to recognize? And it's not just saying words. Now, Scripture does say, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. But interestingly, Paul says, you will be saved, not, and then all of a sudden you're saved. 
right? And then all of a sudden you'll know everything that you ever need to know and you'll never have a question or a doubt again and nothing will ever hurt. And I mean, you might as well just be brought to heaven immediately because everything is perfect. It doesn't say that. It says you will be saved. Maybe a subtle reminder in this idea of you will be saved is the idea that Jesus would say, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. You will be saved. Inviting Jesus doesn't fix all of our, all of our problems. It certainly is getting us on the road to fixing our most important problem. But they don't actually recognize him yet. So, and, and that leads us actually to the second invitation that happens in this moment to commune. Look back again at verse 30. It says, it was as Jesus reclined at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. This moment in my memory is very similar to something that just happened recently for Jesus, where he has, he, he has the Passover meal with the 12 disciples. Remember, these were part of the larger group. They were not at the Passover meal where Jesus institutes the New Testament practice of taking communion that we'll actually do together next Sunday. But during the Passover meal, Jesus took bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. Then he took a cup of wine, he blessed it, and gave it to the disciples. So it looks very much like Jesus, in response to our invitation, would lead us in communion, right? It looks like that's what ha- what, what's about to happen here. But, but Jesus is actually breaching another Jewish custom here. The Jewish custom would be that if you're invited to be a guest at a, at a person's house, you're the guest, the host would, t- would break the bread and pray a blessing over the meal, and then you would eat your meal. And then at the end of the meal, it was customary for the guest to take a glass of wine and hold it up and pray a blessing over the house and thank God in a prayer of gratitude for the, for the gracious meal. Interesting. It just, just lay that context, just the Jewish cultural context over that. Jesus breaks the bread. He took over as the host when he came into your house. And he took the bread and he broke it, right? Why? Because he's the bread of life, the one who was broken so that we can have recognition of who Jesus is in our lives. So no wonder now you can begin to see, just from understanding the Jewish culture of the moment, he breaks the bread, he blesses it, and he gives it to them. And it was in that moment, take the bread, break it, bless it, and give it to them, that it says suddenly their eyes were opened, and they were able to recognize who Jesus was. And then, peace out, he's gone. <laughs> Why, Jesus, would you leave before communion is over? I propose to you that it's because, it is because in Luke 22, Jesus said, it's, he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus took the bread, broke it, and gave it to us so that we could recognize Jesus, the lamb slain, the bread of life, handed to us in communion with God, in response to our urging him, God, come and be a part of my life, he says, here is the bread of life for you. And in that moment, in that exchange, our urging and his extending, we recognize who Jesus is. Their eyes were open. And Jesus doesn't need to stay for the rest of the meal because the meal was just getting started. The meal is still happening today. We're still inviting people, urge Jesus to come into your life so he can break the bread and bless it and give it to you so that you too could recognize that Jesus is the bread of life, the lamb slain for you so that you could be fully alive. Right? So it's good that Jesus has not had the wine yet. In Revelation chapter 19, there's a story about the wedding feast of the Lamb where we are, uh, we are excitedly welcomed to the wedding feast. And there's a picture here of Jesus, the, the knight on the perfect white horse. He comes in and says he tramples all of the grapevines that pour out the wrath of God. Jesus will have a glass of wine at the great wedding feast in Revelation chapter 19, and he'll trample out saying, no more wrath, it is finished. The meal will come to an end 
and a new kind of feast will begin. Everyone who will be saved will be saved. That's a really profoundly important theological understanding. Everyone who will be saved will have been saved when Jesus drinks again. So it's good that he didn't on that day. Because then the kingdom would have consisted of two people. All of this actually sets up the third invitation. We begin to see here uh, the third invitation as a result of learning from Jesus and communing with Jesus is the invitation to share Jesus. The story gives us this invitation in Luke chapter 24, verse 33. It says, that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. There's a translation. I'm not sure how accurate all of the tr- this translation is, but there is a translation floating around out there that said they ran back to Jerusalem. Seven miles? When was the last time you ran seven miles? <laughs> 27 years ago. Um, running or not, it says that very hour. However long it took him to get back, it, it would have taken them at least two hours to get back, right? Um, or less, it may be an hour and a half, hour 45 if they're running. Uh, no Uber at the time to speak up. But what, it, what is important, whether they ran or not, it says they didn't waste a second. That very hour, they got up and went back to Jerusalem. So what does that tell you? It's dark. How do I know it's dark? Because they urged him using the words, it's getting dark. And then he had been in their house long enough to have sat down, reclined at their table, which means he had gone through all of the ritual of washing his hands, of cleansing himself for the meal. He sits down at the table, and he... Reclines. I'm going to guess that's like a 30-minute process. After sunset, I, I looked it up. Today in Israel, sunset will be at 7.45 p.m. So it's 8. After 8, they get up and they take a two-mile hike, seven hours in the dark, back to Jerusalem. Man, when, when that dawned on me all of a sudden, I thought, isn't it interesting that these two, the, listen, the first in the New Testament to have the body broken, handed to them, and they recognize Jesus, the first post-resurrection saints. Walk, carrying the light of the story of Jesus through the darkness back to Jesus' friends. That's profound, right? They don't care that it's dark. It doesn't make a big deal about it, but just think of the moment that they're in. I don't care that it's not safe. There's no street lamps. We can't just call for a police escort. They found the 11, because we know Judas was gone, and those with them gathered together. Interesting, those with them gathered together. It says something about the state of them, that they were so distraught that they left the group of the 72. They left the group because others had stayed. These two, Cleopas, And his friend, or his wife, or his ministry partner, whatever it was, these two, they left. But then they find everybody back together, verse 34, and they said this. uh, They had found the ones who had said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. So that's what they were talking about, which is what sent these two on the way to Emmaus having this debate. Then they, Cleopas and his buddy, began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. I don't have time to do this with you today, but if I had time, I would read for you verses 36 to the end of the Gospel of Luke. And in that moment, can I just, can I just paraphrase what happens to you? As they were telling them the story, as they were describing what happened, it says Jesus suddenly appeared in the room. And he says to them, peace be with you, which is how we ended the sermon last week. Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He says, peace be with you twice because they were freaking out. In Luke's gospel, he just says it once. And then he, then he begins to, uh, to talk with them about how he's hungry. He actually asks them for food. They give him a fish, and it says he eats it there in their presence. Interesting that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, would come and 
be hungry for something in our presence and eat and dine and commune with his disciples. He reminds them of his teaching about the Messiah needing to suffer. He goes, Cleopas and his buddy are right. That's exactly what we were talking about. In fact, let me give you the reminder of the same thing I told these two jokers on the road to Emmaus. He opens their minds to understand scripture. He promised them the coming of the Holy Spirit, who scripture teaches us would be the one who would help us to understand scripture and know what God is saying in, to, and through the church. And then he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit. Then it says he leads them out onto a hillside in a place called Bethany. He blesses them one last time. We know that that blessing is telling them what we refer to as the Great Commission. You can read that at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And then it says he ascends to heaven. And that's it. That's the end of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke continues telling his story in the book of Acts where we pick up that the disciples are in Jerusalem reflecting on everything that has happened, on everything that Jesus has said to them, and they are doing what they were told. They are waiting in an upper room in prayer waiting for something Jesus had promised them. And on Pentecost Sunday, we're going to talk about that something that came, that Jesus promised them. But the reason they got to be invited into that prayer meeting on Pentecost Sunday is because they had responded to the invitation to be a learner of Jesus on, the, on their journey, to commune with Jesus and invite him to commune with them. Right? They had, they had become people who were committed to the invitation to share the story of Jesus with others. Do you really think that on the day the New Testament church was born, when it says 3,000 people were saved, and then it says others were saved daily as they put their faith in Christ, do you really think that Jesus would have sent his Holy Spirit to launch the New Testament church with people who hadn't received the invitation to share Jesus with others? The work of sharing, the invitation to share Jesus with others is not the story of Pentecost. It's the story of Easter. We'll talk about Pentecost and how that gives us the power to share Jesus. But Jesus wouldn't have sent his Holy Spirit to people who aren't committed to share the story. Today, we started in worship by saying, we will just worship the great I am for who he is. Will you receive this great I am? And will you tell others? As Pentecostal people, we're always looking forward to Pentecost, right? Send the Holy Spirit, signs, wonders, miracles. We're all, we're all about it. We love it. But it starts with a faithfulness to be learners, journeyers with, communers with, and sharers of the story of Jesus. So which of these invitations feels like it's being extended to you by the Holy Spirit today? Do you have questions about God and st struggle to understand Scripture? Then the invitation for you is to invite Jesus through the Holy Spirit to teach you from his word. If you, if you want to invite Jesus into your life, you want to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, then, yes, yeah, there's a prayer that we can pray together. But more than that, there's a life that you must live. And here, here would be your next step, if that's you today. We're going to pray in just a moment. We'll, we'll pray the prayer together. And then I'm going to ask some friends of mine if they would position themselves. Elizabeth Curtis is going to be right over there at that wall. Paul and Rhonda Smith are going to be right over there at that wall. And you're going to have friends who are just going to be there to talk with you. If you have questions, if you make a decision for Jesus today, if you're making a decision for Jesus today while you're joining us online, type that in the comments. And Pastor Sharon's going to make sure that she connects with you directly. And we just want to talk with you and pray with you. Another next step would be begin to read your Bible every single day. Come back to church and bring some friends. Get water baptized. Ask my friend Gigi about the significance of water baptism. She just made that decision last Sunday. Right? There are other steps because this is a road. This is a journey. And then, and then before we pray, another question that I would ask for you is, do you know people who don't know Jesus yet? If you don't, get out of your bubble. And, and then let's do something really practical. We created these really, really simple invitation cards. This series is called The Invitation, so we figured let's make some, some invites. So these are sitting on the seat that you sat on. Hopefully it's not under your butt right now, but um, if not, maybe there's another one near you that you can grab that's not crinkled. Um, or grab several of them, but here's what, here's what it says. It just says, hey, blank, and then you get to write a person's name. 
I was thinking of you specifically this week. I wanted to invite you to join me at church this weekend at 10 a.m. I'll save a seat for you. If I can pray for you and encourage you at all this week, you can count on me, your friend, and then this is where you would put your name. If you want to put your phone number, Instagram handle on the back, whatever. Find, if you want to, here's how you can get a hold of me if you have prayer requests. That's, that's good. But would you take this card and turn this into something more than just a piece of paper on a seat? Would you take this card and turn this into an invitation for you to invite someone else onto the road with Jesus? In fact, we're going to pray a couple of things real quick before Pastor Mark comes and wraps up our service. And, and if you could just bow your hearts with me in this moment, I want to invite you to hold that card. Just pick one of those cards up. If there isn't one near you, just put a hand up and Teresa will come and run it your way. She's in the front row stealing all of them right now. So, Or they're in the pocket in the seat in front of you. Good. Thanks, guys. So just grab one of these cards and let's pray a couple of things. Number one, if you're sitting here today or you're joining us online and you're saying, uh, and you're saying, you know what, I need to make a definite certain commitment that I am on the road with Jesus. Let's just all pray these words together today. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. You are exactly who Holy Scripture says you are. I need help. I have sinned. I have failed to be perfect. And I need a Savior. You are that Savior. I put my faith in you. Help me to live with you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just want to ask, I, I don't know everyone's heart in this room, and if there's anybody online, find a way to let us know in, in, by commenting. Is there anybody who just today you would say, That's, that prayer was for me. I just, I just prayed that prayer for the first time or for the first time in a long time today. And I don't know if there's anybody online as well. We just want to say to you, remember, there's going to be people around available to you. If you're online, Sharon will connect with you. Uh, and if you're ever wondering, how do I lead someone in a prayer? It's just as simple as that, right? Now let's pray over the people that we're going to give these cards to this week. Would you just hold this in front of you like it's an offering that you would give to the Lord and just say, just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I pray you would put someone on my heart, someone I know, or someone I'm about to meet. Show me exactly who you want to reveal yourself to. Use my heart and my mouth and this card to invite somebody into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, as we take these cards, as we think about people, as we make a commitment to be learners and to do communion and life with you and to also be people who share the good news about you with others, Jesus, we ask that you would use these simple resources, us. Would you use the simple resource that is us to share the good news of the resurrected king, of the continuing Easter story, so that you would do like what you did on the road to Emmaus. Grow your kingdom, one or two lives at a time, just like you did it in mine. In Jesus' name, amen.